Hi everyone. Yeah, look, I'm okay. I survived the audiobook recording. I know I was a bit dramatic about it. I, I don't know whether you imagine it should be hard or not, but it's it's hard, but I did it. It's it's out there. It's recorded. Uh, it'll be available probably about the same time as the paperback, looking at a March 1 release. Um, and to be honest, this one wasn't as hard as the others. Uh for a good reason and that was I changed the order of operations so the last two audiobooks I've recorded after the paperback has been printed and I'm reading from it and part of the pain and suffering is no matter how many times that first edition is proofread there are always mistakes in it and so I'm reading my own mistakes in in concrete version this is printed now this is how this book is out in the world and that's very painful so this time I recorded the audiobook before the book is printed and so any mistakes that I picked up that I've read over a hundred times and haven't seen but having hearing, having heard myself read out loud have picked up on these mistakes, uh, I was able to correct. So it's not, it's not very fun for my uh, typesetter who's formatting the book and I keep making changes to the actual content rather than just the layout but nevertheless uh, more enjoyable for me and, and it produces a better book in the end. So that was good. And and secondly, I think uh, there were moments in this book where I, I imagined it, well, it was like producing an, an album, you know, my sixth studio album. Uh, you'd hope that over the years of recording content and being an artist that I would have improved the quality of my art and that this sixth studio album would be my best. And so reading some of the parts of this book, I was, I was uh, yeah, I was impressed I thought this is this is inspired this is some good stuff the overall experience of the album this is a great album but there are parts of it just like my favorite albums my favorite music albums the album as a whole is wonderful and and then there are transcendent songs within that that are just next level so uh, I had a great experience I was blessed reading it out loud and I hope you are too so stay tuned for that one So today I'd love to share with you the 10 principles for resolving the issues of your childhood and it's it's content you'll be familiar with but I haven't ever condensed it into these 10 before so I think you'll find it useful because everyone has a past, everyone has a childhood and no one escapes their childhood without developing limiting beliefs about themselves. So whether your childhood was good in quotation marks or bad in quotation marks again, you know, Whatever your experience of your childhood in comparison with how you imagine everyone else's childhood, nevertheless, you've got stuff from your past. You've been wounded. You were impacted by the content, conversations, the experience of your childhood. And if you don't find a way to resolve it, it, it will ruin you like there's nothing sure. So I've had a couple of conversations with people this week, you know, as I do, about their childhood and just reminded about the mess that lingers and and how much further suffering that creates when it goes unresolved so you, you got to find a way to bring that stuff into the light and process it so i, I want to show you the, the 10 principles for how anyone does that effectively but before i do that king charles has cancer you may have seen that in the news well if you haven't seen that in the news you're probably hiding under a rock um i've, I've caught bits and pieces of the crown catherine really loves that Lots of people do, but it, it's a fictitious but factual representation of the monarchy. And you get a picture of King Charles. You get a picture of Charles the man. And 
You see insecurity. That's what you see. You see a strange human being that didn't fit in, difficult childhood, very suppressed emotions, all kinds of pressure and expectations, didn't didn't fit in, didn't find it easy to be himself, um, huge amount of ambition, largely driven from insecurity to prove and defend himself and and his desire to be on the throne earlier than he has actually found himself to be there. So for his mother to get out of the way, um, afraid that the public actually wanted his son to get in front of him and that he may never get there. And so what you see here is, um, well, well, here's the big idea, right? That insecurity, it is hell-bent on creating strategies that protect you from the confirmation of your worst fears about yourself. So insecurity will always have an escape path so that if you do get found out, it wasn't a complete exposure. You know, this is extra weight. If, if, the, if the fat you gets rejected, well, it's not the real you, it's the you that's been insulated. You didn't ever fully show up. So if you are rejected, or unloved well it wasn't totally you you know it's the it's the tired you that's committing to work and so if you fail well it wasn't really you it was the underperforming you or the sick you um, you know or the procrastinating you or the pressurized you whatever version of this you have so insecurity always needs an escape so um, sickness is great a great way to do that so here we have the king King Charles has finally got given the throne, and within the first 12 months, uh, here he is diagnosed with cancer. Now, Buckingham Palace is very tight-lipped around what that means and how serious that is, but it's serious enough because he has cancer, that that much is sure. So, um, you know, it's a fascinating take on what happens when you leave the, the issues of your childhood unresolved. There is no evidence that Charles has found a way out of his insecurity. He is still very much operating from it. And so it leads to madness. You obsess about certain things. Your best energy is directed toward proving and defending yourself. It weakens you as a human being. And ultimately, you need an escape from your own strategies because they are a form of madness. Again, the importance of addressing this stuff. Not many people will, but I mean, you're listening to this podcast because you're agreeing with me that it's important to do so and whether you have found a way to do this in your own life or not um, i'm sure that you keep tuning in because i keep banging on about this stuff and you feel you feel my certainty um, like i i get invited into people's world to have conversations about this kind of stuff all the time and while it is always a privilege i do not always enjoy it by the way this is not a passion project I'm not on a mission to resolve insecurity anymore. I feel compelled. I am ruined for anything else. I I cannot do anything else. I must show up and help people who are ready to resolve this because it's hard and rare and (laughs) for the sake of the world, we are each responsible for bringing healing to ourselves. That is how the world gets healed, one person at a time with courage and kindness, going back into their childhood to heal the wounds of their past. I'll show you how to do that in a minute. An update from how the self-permission model is working in my life at the moment. So uh, one of the first experiences of self-permission that I encountered was with the marathon. And I've written about that and spoken about that before. And uh, my... my, um, 
maybe three marathons ago when I pulled the trigger on running a marathon, um, I was instantly thwarted by my own unconscious. I had cr- chronic pain down my left leg, my piriformis muscle grabbed my sciatic nerve and I couldn't run. And so my first response was, that's frustrating. Do I have an enemy inside me who doesn't want me to enjoy the things that I do? You know, that, then I, that's met with eye rolling. That's a misunderstanding. And so I lean in and ask what for, and I discover that there's a loving message. There's a reason why I'm being resisted. There's a, a loving reason why permission has been denied to do the thing that I want to do. And so I find my way into a conversation with myself just from that question, what for? And I hear first and foremost that the central issue is that I'm attached to the outcome of winning the marathon or, or at worst positioning on, on the on the podium. And so the instruction, the request, the requirement from my unconscious is um, permission will be denied until I'm capable of running that race without attaching my result to that outcome that I can't control. Because that's a foolish thing to do. Because I'm not Elliot Kipchoge or the world record holder in the marathon, it therefore does matter who else shows up. So I will be disappointed more often than I won't be. And that was my experience in the four marathons preceding that. So so I hear that and go, hmm, yeah, I, I, I can come at that actually. That makes sense. And I, and I negotiate. Could I focus on a PB? Yes, yes, that would be okay. Okay, great. And so then I run out of the meeting going, solved it, got it. PB, not podium. Let's go run a marathon and have the instant joy of I heard myself, I've worked this out. Gee, I'm clever. This is great. I enjoy these conversations. And then I go to train and then I'm instantly thwarted again. The pain's worse this time. And that's frustrating because, you know, I don't understand. I did listen. I did make the change. I did do exactly what I was required to do, and yet I'm still being resisted. That's really unfair. Uh, And when I get over myself and find my way back to the conversation, guess what? I left the meeting too soon. There was a part two. Second part was, oh, and by the way, Jamin, when you pull the trigger to run a marathon, everything else fades into the background. You lose sight of all other games you're playing. So that's not going to work in this season. If you lose sight of family and business, it would be a disaster because it's just a marathon. It doesn't actually matter in the scheme of the overall plan and destiny of your life. So number one, take it off you know take take the podium or winning off the agenda and number two it has to be priority three this is the third most important game you'll play in this season not the first so if you can't run a marathon after prioritizing your business and your family then no you can't because that's not safe and you will jeopardize the things that really matter so i listen to that that sounds like wisdom that's a loving request i actually like that i don't want to ruin my business or my family for the sake of running It's not that important. It's important, but it's not that important. And so I agree. Yeah, I can abide that. And and then I ask, is there anything else? No, thank you for asking. There is nothing else. And then I go and I am pain-free and I have full permission and I go and train for 16 weeks, do not miss a single training session, drop eight kilos without trying, get down to race weight and have an extraordinarily beautiful experience of the training and then finish eighth or tenth in the race and so very lucky that i didn't attach myself to being on the podium because it wouldn't have happened anyway now the reason i tell you all that is because last podcast i told you about the no pants dream and the instruction from myself to 
break the attachment the attachment that I had found myself caught up in in terms of the ambition for this book to be a world-class book and to be sold and or picked up by one of the the leading publishing houses in New York and the disappointment with that not eventuating and so coming to terms with the fact that yeah I can cope with that I, I will pick myself um, I will I will publish it myself and that's a better game and that's actually I have full control of that so then I can't be disappointed so so I left the meeting too early again it turns out because all this week uh, I was taunted by nightmares so the the no pants dream is one version of the nightmare but I have all kinds and and it took me a week to just go because my dream life's so intense anyway it took me a week to go hmm this cannot be a coincidence I am being taunted by terrible dreams every time I close my eyes and I thought I had full permission and peace so that doesn't make sense so I was frustrated just like I was with the running example but then found my way back into the conversation with an apology ah, I'm sorry I got carried away I left too soon <clears throat> what did I miss what was part two and so um, part two was that there is a very subtle but destructive language pattern that I use in my self-talk that has not been a problem till this point, but now is a problem. So uh, without sharing exactly what it is that I say at certain times, there's a, there's a cheeky remark that I actually direct toward myself, uh, and it's always been okay. And the example I've got, I think in marriage or your most intimate relationships, I think there is kind of cute banter that is okay at certain times and it can be a little derogatory it can be a little bit rude a little bit cheeky but it's kind of fun and playful and it's okay Um, but then there are times if you keep the space clean with your spouse there'll be times if you lean in that that cheeky and low quality banter is is actually undermining intimacy and it's annoying and so if you listen most people don't, by the way. I'm not saying this is normal. But if you do, there would be a conversation that says, don't ever say that again, okay? Like, that's, it's not fun anymore. I don't enjoy that. It, it always agitates me when you say that, when you throw away that, that cheap joke or that funny line. Don't, don't talk to me like that ever again. I'm serious. Um, and there have been times where Catherine and I have, have actually said that very thing to each other. Um, and, we, and we mean it and it's never happened again because we mean it and we're clear about it and it's the whole leverage model be clear or be quiet and so that was what happened with me this week and these these terrible nightmares one of them a reoccurring one is that I'm in a car going backwards and the handbrake doesn't work nor does the foot brake and I can't stop myself going backwards and I crash into whatever I crash into and I keep going backwards so you know you probably don't need to be a rocket scientist to break through the metaphor that there's some fear around the things that I want I'll be moving further away from rather than towards so I get that dream I had that dream a couple of times through the week and a whole bunch of other weird ones so the point was part two is Jamin um, you don't ever and I mean ever use that line again in your self-talk that's not going to work you undermine the certainty you undermine the rapport you weaken the relationship you have with with me with myself whenever i do that and i i hadn't ever noticed that i'd kind of always written it off as that doesn't matter and it hadn't mattered but now it did and i i love that 
that relationships increase in their nuance. The more you get to know someone, the more subtle the relationship becomes and the, the little things become big things. That's how it works. So that made sense to me. So all that to say, uh, I, I'm always going to share with you how this applies to my life because I'm all in on this and I must demonstrate that it works in the real world in real time. And so so I, I made that agreement with myself. I will never use that language ever again and haven't since. Uh, there have been two times where an, an instinct, like a default, I, I slipped up with that and, and, and the instant shuddering through my system and uh, I do not agree with that. I'm sorry, whoops, whoops. <laughs> like, like oh, I picked myself up in the moment uh, and so that problem's been solved and the evidence is full permission again. And so uh, while I said to you full permission last time was uh, the inflammation in my Achilles went, uh, five clients signed up and there was one other thing. Um, this time it's been, it's been dramatic and it's permission to play the next game. So the last game has been uh, writing and recording the book. Now to play that game, like I'm in my office, I'm like it doesn't really matter. I'm not dressed to impress anyone. I'm dressed like a writer. I'm wrestling. It's a it's a difficult place to be in, and so um, physicality is not not a real central part of that game. Um, but now coming out of that game, the game of being the professional author, I'm about to go on a book tour around the country. I'm about to start the marathon of selling this book. Of actually speaking about these ideas in a way that's compelling to people so that's a very different game requires a very different jamin and so you might have heard me talk about uh, my uh, penchant and my love for crinkle cut chips and beer and that's a big part of the writer persona and they are out of the window in this game i am eating nuts mixed nuts there is no sugar it's it's a very um, clean lovely diet and it there is while while it might not look different to you if you're on the outside looking in you might it might appear to you that i'm very disciplined around my diet in the last week that that is not true it's just this natural inclination for health and nutrition and an ease and flow around that my body craving it and it's part of the permission to go flourish in this season to go be attractive to go be compelling to go stand out to go speak out like that is a beautiful experience and just the energy and the focus and the clarity i feel in every cell in my body and how precise i am with my work at the moment i'm i'm writing blogs as part of promoting this they're coming to me with ease i'm having opportunities to speak on podcasts the connections i'm having with people looking to host events all this flow and ease coming off the back of resolving this with myself listening to part two that i hadn't listened to the week before so um it's fun and then off the back of that, just to tie in one last piece of that, you might have heard me talk about obvious action. So um, Hal Elrod talks about the miracle equation, how people do extraordinary things or supernatural things or what appears to be miraculous. And he says the recipe is simple. It's extraordinary faith. No, sorry, unwavering faith and extraordinary action. Uh, and I, I talk about this in the permission book because you can't have unwavering faith if you don't trust your ability to pull that off. So that's going to be, um, you're going to have to resolve any trust issues to have unwavering faith. Otherwise, you'll be full of doubt and uncertainty and you'll fear that you're not capable and you can't trust your natural ability to do that. So you're going to have to resolve trust first. But, but, first. but when you do that, I don't think it's actually extraordinary action. That is the second part of the equation. I much prefer obvious action, which is from William Whitecloud, his book, The Magician's Way. 
So trust your nature and then do what is obvious. So there's no real question around the fact that, you know, for me this week, I've written a book. So now record the audio. It doesn't really matter how easy or hard it is. It's the obvious action. Do the next thing and do it now. You're going to run a book too. Okay, do the obvious action. Call people, talk to people, message people, set it up. It's the obvious action. Do the next thing. It's not extraordinary. There's nothing extraordinary about it. Because if I am who I say I am and I trust myself, well then, okay, great. Then go live in line with that. I like that language. It's been really useful for me and I think you might find that useful too. One more thing before I tell you these 10 principles and that is um, we're running a sale on the Leverage book. So for this month leading up to the book launch for the next book, uh, the current book is on sale at half price. So uh, less than half price, actually a third of the price. So you can get the paperback uh, posted to you for $20. So normally it would cost you a little more than $40 to have that happen. Uh, So yeah, and that didn't make sense because I said a third of the price, not half. It makes sense because the book is normally 32, now it's $9. The postage doesn't change. So the postage will always be $10 for one book. So there you go. If you haven't found a way into that book, um, it's a it's a good book and it is a useful framework. It, in spite of how challenging the title may seem, uh, it is the worst marriage advice ever given to not change the one you love. That, that is seen as inappropriate. That is such a misunderstanding and such a terrible trap to fall into. Because if you don't change the one you love, they'll end up annoying the shit out of you and you'll hate them. That's the only thing that can happen. Just because the space starts clean, it doesn't stay clean. You, you need to understand how to keep that thing clean. So this is the rules for the clean space game. It's the game Kat and I have been playing together for the last 25 years. And it's a lovely game to play. Because while I've never claimed to have a perfect marriage, I promise you the space between us is clean. And waking up in the morning and looking into each other's eyes and knowing there is nothing between us and the space is clean is is one of the most delightful, joyful experiences to have. So, yeah, grab that book. All right, let me talk to you about these 10 things. So you're going to have to go back. You're going to have some mess from your childhood that... Is, there is nothing sure. There is no way to escape that. And by the way, you as a parent cannot prevent your child from having a mess to deal with as an adult. And you wouldn't want to, even if you could. That is a very important piece of the puzzle. Every time I talk about childhood pain and trauma and mess and woundedness, if a person is a parent, they cannot help but fear that they are damaging their own child. Well, let me just take that off the table. Yeah, of course you're damaging your child. Well... You're not actually because they're the ones doing the damage, but you're not going to get it perfect. And even if you do get it perfect, that's going to become a problem because if you are the perfect parent, you're going to create such an artificial environment for your child that don't know how to, how to handle the wind and the rain and the drought and the storm. So you will have set up an, a, a biodome with perfect conditions that won't serve them in the real world. And because you're so perfect, you'll be. You'll set such a precedent for excellence that cannot be matched. How are they ever going to be more wise than you if you are always perfectly wise? So if they'll remain the child forever, you don't want to get it right. Um, and you won't. So do the best you can. Get them a coach on their 21st birthday, which they won't be ready for. They'll still know too much. 
it'll probably be likely that they'll be ready and you'll be ready somewhere in the middle of your life, somewhere around 35 to 45. So, um, but wherever you're ready, you'll be ready. And the point is, even if you've missed that window and now you're ready, it doesn't matter. Like, if you don't resolve the issues of your childhood, they will destroy your life. There is nothing trivial you've ever heard. So here, here are the 10 principles. Um, in no particular order, but kind of in an order. So <laughs> number one, uh, it's a setup. Right, so, so gamify it. This is, this is really useful because there is so much angst with childhood pain and dysfunction and woundedness that most people do not want to go back and unconsciously the story they're running is if only I'd had a better childhood I wouldn't be dealing with this dysfunction now so I wish that I had better experiences I wish I had more love I wish I had less pain I wish people were kinder to me I wish I didn't have that happen I wish I did have that happen I wish I was like that person and not like, not like me whatever it is that's that's the trap because no, no, it, it's a setup. It, it's a setup. There is a game here, and the game is for you. Life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. So the woundedness is the opportunity. If you didn't have any woundedness, then how are you supposed to become strong? That's a setup. It's it's a gift to you. So when you come to terms with that, you're like, oh, great. So rather than wishing I wasn't wounded, be grateful that I am, because now I've got some work to do. Yeah, damn straight. It's your most important adult work to bring your best adult skills back to yourself, to reparent yourself. That's your job. That's not, uh, man, because because the game got broken, now you've got to go try and fix it. No, no, that is the game. The game is woundedness. It's a setup. So when you get that, boy, oh boy, you're in. Uh, number two, well, then learn the bloody rules of the game. And, and there are five rules for the game of life, as far as I can tell. And here they are. I, I unpack these in, in detail. You might have heard me unpack them before on a podcast, but I go to lengths to explain these inside the self-permission method book as well. But here are the five. Number one, life is unfair. No, no, life is unfair. You, you've been complaining that things are unfair, assuming that they should be fair. Who, who told you life was supposed to be fair? You know, look around and see it's not fair. There is no equity. You don't get what you deserve just because you deserve it. Life actually is unfair. So, okay, that's a very useful thing to come to terms with because it changes your expectation. Rather than finding injustice as the reason why you can't, then you realize oh, there'll always be injustice, so you'll have to find another way. Number two, the obstacle is the way. Marcus Aurelius was the first person to state, say that, the Stoic philosopher and Roman emperor. You thought the thing that stood in the way was the reason why you can't. No, no, it's it's for you. That is the setup. But the thing that looks to impede the path is the path. So the woundedness is the gift. The fact that your parents weren't great, no, that's for you. That's the opportunity. The fact that you got bullied, the fact that you, your parents were poor, the fact that you got teased, the fact that you looked different, that's, that's all for you. The obstacle is the way. Number three, desire beats deserve. So if life is unfair and the obstacle is the way, the only thing that really matters is what do you want? What do you want and what are you prepared to do about it? Life doesn't reward deserve, it rewards desire. So even if it's impossible, which it will feel like, 
because you did have the childhood you had and it wasn't fun and you did get wounded and it is impacting you and it's all very scary to uncover and most people don't so for all intents and purposes it looks like it's too hard and you can't but if you want to you still can that's the game desire is the currency and to desire is human so you have enough of that inside you to win the game number four all we have is story so that's that's very very useful to come to terms with because it's not the things that happened to you that changed your life it's the story you told about why the things happened and what they meant about you so you're not the story you're not the actor you're the storyteller you've got the pen which just means you can modify this thing you can tell better stories and update that and so the old adage you can't change the past doesn't even make sense because the past it's not people say it is what it is well that's not true it's not what it is it's what you made it be so you can change that at any time you're ready and number five everything is spiritual so you can't actually reduce yourself down to matter if you were to cut yourself up and try and find the essence of you as a piece of matter as a piece of physical flesh you you wouldn't be able to do that you are not just the sum total of your parts you are something else you are spiritual you are wonderful you are life itself so there is this dance that happens in your consciousness that is bigger than you and not even about the version of you that you are living in now and that's very useful to understand because it just means there's a bigger game at play if you get caught up in your own small version of this it can feel all too dark and all too hard um, but the game is set up that there is a source outside of you that is you but is connected to something bigger than you and, and you will be helped along the way. Rumi says it like this, what you seek is also seeking you. You are connected to life itself. So when you understand the resourcefulness of all that is around you, you realize you are not on your own to do this work. This work is not only a setup, but it's work that wants to be done and will help you do it. A lot of fun. Uh, number three, uh, you're not going to be able to do this work on your own. You're going to need to get help from someone who can hold a clean conversation. So people have been in therapy. Lots of people go to therapy and they do therapy in, in open and unending time slots that seem to go on forever. Um, but the problem with that is the therapist they're getting help from doesn't know the way. They haven't healed their own childhood. So how are they supposed to help how are they supposed to help you heal yours? And worse, still often they've gone into therapy to avoid their own therapy and to be the hero in the story because they like rescuing people. So avoid therapists. You're gonna need help, but you're gonna need help from someone who doesn't get in the way, who can hold a clean space, who can let you be the hero, who can who can draw you into objectivity, help you see the game and the rules. Uh, number four. You have to break through the misdirection. So when you go back into your childhood, which is what this is all about, you're going to want to pay it. You're going to naturally think and want that you'll have to pay attention to the things that happened to you and were said to you and were done to you. And you'll think that's all the data that has to be resolved. And that'll be very hard to process because those things did happen to you and they were spoken to you and it wasn't fun. So what are you supposed to do about that? The misdirection is that's not where the action took place. And this is why people spend so long in therapy because they, they're dealing with the data that doesn't even matter. The real data is you, your part in this mess. That's what we're looking for. What did, what did you decide? What was your meaning? How is, how is your storytelling playing out? 
You were the one that set up the structure for your life. You're the one that developed strategies to cover and compensate what you were, what you were afraid of. Um, number five, you are not you. So uh, you have developed a persona to cover and compensate, run and hide. So uh, that can confuse you about doing this work because the persona you may have created might not feel you full of confidence that you're capable of doing this work. But it is important to look at that objectively and realize who you see yourself as is not actually the real you. The real you is back in your childhood. The real you is the essence of you that was relaxed in in your own nature of being enough before the fallout, before you decided there was a problem with you. So you're not finding something that's never existed. You're going home. You're finding the real you. Number six, what you're actually looking for is accusations and agreements. So you were the real you, relaxed in your own company, at peace with your own essence. You showed up relaxed in the world and it went bad for you. And you decided the reason it went bad for you is because of you. And in that moment, you separated from yourself. You pointed your finger at yourself and you accused yourself of being the problem in some very specific way. That is very important. And it's the data you were looking for. What did you say was wrong with you specifically? Was it that you were weak or stupid or worthless or silly or bad or wrong or, you know, invisible? You said something in particular and that accusation you then agreed with. And when you agreed with it, you locked it in place. And everything then has pivoted off the back of that accusation and agreement. What are we up to? Uh, number six. One, one, two, three, four, five, six. Number seven. Objectivity and empathy is what you'll need here. All you need is objectivity. You are so sure your accusations and agreements are correct because of the confirmation bias that happens when you agree with something. Your brain is only looking for evidence of what you already think is true. So evidence, some evidence. Your job is to get out of your own head. And that's why you're going to need help from someone who's not you and doesn't care about you because it's hard to be objective. But every moment, every moment spent being objective about your own subjective, subjective, subjective experience will help you see things that you couldn't have seen while you're inside your map of the world. And by the way, if you hear anyone else's version of this, you'll know it's not true. You will, you will have enough distance from that person to be able to see clearly, more clearly than they can. So that's all you need for yourself to, to be objective. And then to empathize with how ridiculous this whole thing is and how much pain you've caused to yourself. If you can't empathize with what it must be like to have been accused of something that's a misunderstanding, then there's no way of actually helping that child number eight little things are big things so when you go back to review the data of your childhood and find these accusations and agreements and the, the defining moments with which caused these things to eventuate in your life you are looking for little things every time you're looking for little things not big things because little things are big things as a child everything is catastrophic Everything is new, everything is big, everything is dramatic, everything is catastrophic. If you get embarrassed as a child, it is a catastrophe. Your whole world comes crashing down on you. So sure, you may have been abused. There may have been some actual actual big things that still are classed as big things even now as an adult. Um, but it may not be of those things that actually ruined your life. It's more likely to have been the time when you didn't get the bike for Christmas or the time you didn't get picked in the basketball team or that time you got a 
a C or a D in the maths test and your friend's got an A or, you know, when you accidentally peed your pants, when you, I don't know, when you brought the wrong shoes to PE, like it'll be those kind of things that really upset you. I promise you it'll be the little things. So don't get distracted looking for the big things or dismiss the little things. They're always little things. I'm number nine, you're going to have to get your hands dirty. So don't just rationalize this as an adult when you go back to the child and say, oh, yeah, that was silly. That's clearly not true. You're fine. Don't worry about that now. Come with me. No, the child was there, and because it was catastrophic, they're convinced it's true, and they've been experiencing the weight of these accusations the whole time. So to rescue that child and to reconcile, you're going to have to get your hands dirty you're gonna have to go back into those situations actually go back and have a look actually feel the pain actually relive them actually review the data in a way that shows you get it you actually get the weight of it you don't dismiss the impact you don't say it shouldn't have been catastrophic whether it should or shouldn't have been it was so it's your job to actually understand that and to get down to that child's level to understand their pain and then number 10 um Having done all that, there are there are five things you'd have to be ready for. Number one, you'd have to be ready to be wrong, specifically about the accusation that you've agreed with. Number two, you would have to be ready to review all the data around the defining moments you've had in your mind that are proof that this is true. You'd have to be willing to look at all of them. Where is this evidence that proves there is a problem where is it where is this undeniable empirical data that can hold up under scrutiny let's go look for it because if it's there as you imagine it is well sure then okay you are worthless great you were right but if you go looking everywhere and you can't find it and you've looked everywhere okay that does change things three you have to be ready to apologize sincerely apologize effectively apologize actually restore trust with yourself for the pain you have caused by waiting so long to come back and sort this stuff out number five four sorry you have to reconcile be ready to reconcile and by that i mean like actually come together with yourself stop being having this inner child stuck in this period of woundedness and grow up into an inner inner adult to have this connection this intimacy this rapport this open line of communication And number five, you'd have to be ready to begin again, to go play in the world, knowing you might make mistakes, you might experience more pain, you might even accuse yourself, but you know how to fix this stuff. You haven't just cleaned the space and healed the child to be fragile and isolated and wrapped in cotton wool. You're ready to go live your life. That's the 10. There there is no other way. That is how anyone heals themselves. And you're going to have to do that. I mean... You're not going to have to. Don't let me tell you what to do. Because people do survive. Obviously, humans' ability to survive and dysfunction is extraordinarily powerful to complain about dysfunction and yet keep doing it again and again and again and not find a way to healing. So healing is the exception. But you're here and that's what you want. Well, you're going to have to go back into your past. You're going to have to go back to that kid and do that effectively. So I hope that's useful. Uh, looking forward to getting out amongst you all with the book tour coming up. Very excited about uh, how useful you'll find that self-permission method. 
grab a copy of the leverage book while it's on sale and um, always, I always enjoy your feedback from these episodes so let me know what you've enjoyed about this let me know if you've got any questions about any of it and I'll talk to you again soon <laughs>